it's Sunday where we are. Where is it where you are? When is it where you are? Anyway, all these questions won't be answered. You're listening to The Bookworm, Starburst Magazine and Fab Radio International's premier general book show. My name is Ed Fortune and I'm here with... Nympha Hayes. Coming up on the show, I'll be talking about James Goss's haters. Haters. And I'll be talking about the making of Star Wars. We also have as an interview Jamie Anderson, that's that's Jerry Anderson's son of Thunderbirds fame, as well as M.G. Harris, the, the well-known young adult author, and they'll be talking about Gemini Force One, their exciting international rescue-inspired novel. Uh, also, the usual book news and other nonsense, and all that's coming up soon. Across the world, 24 hours a day. Experienced listeners will know that we always start the show with a spot of book news, and it's been a relatively exciting week. And let's let's start with the thing that excites us the most. Hugo Award nominations are open, and you can nominate various things if you're a member of the World <laughs> Science Fiction Society. And you can nominate anything, even podcasts. I'm sure you know the right podcast to nominate. I'm not telling you which one is it. It's us. It's totally us. Do Hashtag it. for your consideration. <laughs> for your consideration, there is, of course, if you want to vote for a high-quality book-based podcast uh, as best fan cast, we heartily recommend Tea and Jeopardy. Alternatively, you can vote for Starburst's The Bookworm Podcast. Please, please. Um, we're, we're up for it. We, we have various... Basically, because LonCon happened... Various people are also voting for it. Just to explain the process, because it, it's a bit involved, and you might not care about the World Science Fiction Society, but we're going to tell you about it anyway, so nah. Um, <laughs> don't, winning don't, fans. Uh... Don't, don't, don't alienate possible voters. The way it works is this. If you went to LonCon, which was last year, then you have a vote. If you're going to Sasquatch, which is in Spokane, which is in the US, and no, you're, you're entirely allowed to have no idea where that is, um... Then, then you have a vote. If you're going to Mid American, which I think is Kansas, mm. so if you're going there by tornado, you also get a vote. Um, if you are a supporting member of uh, Sasquatch, which basically means you've spent like twenty dollars, mm. uh, then you also get a vote. But you have to be a supporting member by the end of this month to for that to count, because then they can do the paperwork and that sort of thing. Now you might be sitting there go, going, "But Ed, I live in Europe. I probably live in the UK. Why on earth do I care about?" wanting to be a supporting member about the World Science Fiction Society. Well, for a start, it's a good cause because, you know, they do these really cool parties that help raise awareness and help cause start the industry and it's been a good start for many an author. Also, on a selfish level, you get to also vote as to where the next one is in the next two years' time. So, this is 2015, so you would get to vote for a, a, a venue in 2017. As it happens, Helsinki. Yes. Helsinki! Helsinki. Helsinki, which is about 40 quid on a ferry if you plan it right. Um, Helsinki 
uh, are going is for is up for it. Is up for it. It's going for twenty seventeen. It's a bit of an involved process because what you do, need to do is you need to be a sporting member of uh, Spokane. Then you need to um, throw some money into the the the, the tin, and again, it's about ten quid after you've worked out the exchange. Don't rates. you don't you get the books anyways? Oh yes, if you because if you're a supporter, so really, you know, if, you get a bundle of books. If you're a Hugo voter, what they do is they send you uh, once the nominations are up, they send you a thing called the Hugo bundle, which is which is uh, it's not like a, it's not a guaranteed thing because the, the publishers have to say yes, but no publisher has said no yet. Mm-hmm. Um, and you get a bundle, you get an e-bundle of books and podcasts and links to to if it's if it's not a. Um, Hollywood movies don't normally give you a free link to their movie, <laughs> but if it's a small movie, then definitely. Yeah. If you say I mean. So it's totally worth it because you know you're not just throwing money away; you are actually getting something for being a supporter and a voter. So you get your bundle. You can troll through books and podcasts, and you know get to know loads of cool things, and maybe discover a bunch of new books. And you get to vote for us. How amazing is that? I mean, I mean, on a, a slightly more serious level, it's about <laughs> joining a fandom. And, you know, if you are a joiner and you want to join a club, um, by joiner I mean someone who likes joining clubs rather than putting wood together, which you might be as well. Uh, <laughs> then, you know, if you're that sort of a person, then it's something to get into because, frankly, I've, I've never found a nicer fan, fandom. I really found... I, I've been a member of many tribes. Um, I really f- felt like it found a new tribe to be part of, and it was really, really welcoming, and also really weird, because you kind of get there, and then this, like, you're like, hang on, you're a New York Times bestselling author, and you're giving me a hug. That's weird. Um, <laughs> I like it. But it was very nice. So that w- it was lovely. Um, join the Hugos, not jo- just for the books, but for the hugs. Jo- join the the world science fiction. Uh, I've probably got it wrong and someone's going to be like, oh, you've, you've, you've association. Anyway, join, join that crowd. They're lovely. No, no, I did the research. It's the World Science Fiction Society. Woo-hoo! It is. Hooray, I got Thank you. Right. Thank you, producer Al. And this is why we have a producer. In other news, Luxembourg have been accused of doing something interesting. <laughs> nah. No. Luxembourg have, have been accused of providing state aid to Amazon. Does state- Luxembourg provide state aid to anybody? Is it in a position to do that at all? Well... Essentially, for its tax arrangements, the European Commission... The reason we care is because Amazon. Um, the European, <laughs> the European co- the Commission ha- has said in, in its preliminary finding that, you know, there's something afoot there. There's something a bit dodgy. I'm paraphrasing, obviously. Uh, but they've basically gone, hmm, we're not. We're a bit suspicious about this whole nonsense. Uh, the European Commission launched an investigation into preferential tra- tax arrangements between Luxembourg and Amazon. Um, broadly... Luxembourg have come out and gone uh, no, uh, and Amazon have gone. Amazon has received no special tax treatment from Luxembourg. We are subject to the same tax laws as any other company operating there. That's a statement from Amazon. So, hmm. Uh, answers on the postcard: pigeon, raven, owl. As per usual, or even better, our radio program on Twitter. The population of Luxembourg is just over half a million. Wow. There's like one and a half million people living great in Manchester. There's, there's more people just round the corner from where we are right now mm-hmm. standing in the studio and it's a quiet Sunday as well but still yes it's Luxembourg so Luxembourg doesn't do that many interesting things but um, I'm sure they have a wonderful culture but don't, don't be sizest that's true. That's true. I, I'm not accusing. I, I don't know how. What you, is I, I mean, you're you're ignorant in the way of Luxembourg. That's and, true. You know, it's well, fine to admit that you're ignorant in even, some things. I don't even know what a person from Luxembourg is called. Are they Luxembourgese? Are they Luxembourgan? 
of a, of a Luxemburger? They're a Luxemburger. They're a Luxemburger. Oh, that sounds delicious. Is it, is it, is it like a pie the size of don't, a small cookie? Book news, Edward. Sorry. Book news. Tangent. Tangent. Very Massive tangent of tangentness. Uh, Gareth L. Powell has uh, done his dressing up as a monkey challenge, as we understand it. Uh, there are photos available. Uh, he's promoting his book, Akak Macak, because he said on Twitter, I don't buy into this Twitter nonsense. If I get retweeted a thousand times, I'll do a book signing dressed as a monkey for my book, Akak Macak. And because we are who we are, of course, he got those retweets. Bless his heart. Uh, by the by, Akak Macak, that entire series is awesome. It's about a sweary monkey with a machine gun. I, I can't recommend it enough. At some point, we'll have to do the entire series on the show, or maybe try and get him in. But um, yes, he has fulfilled his promise, as I understand it. So there we go. Um, Mark Zuckerberg has discovered that books exist. Um, started a book club, and then no one proceeded to care. Um, the, the first meeting of Mark Zuckerberg's much-trumpeted online book club um, has has kind of fallen flat on its face. The Facebook founder's realisation that books could be intellectually fulfilling because obviously he's not been alive or something. I don't understand. I don't understand how you can be a billionaire and not realise how f- much fun books are. Anyway. Um, I, I always thought he was a fan. I mean, he, he called the, the thing Facebook. Exactly. <laughs> oh. Anyways, anyway, he invited uh, thirty-one million. He's thirty-one million followers on Facebook. You can't have. Can you have that many followers? You can have followers. Can't you? You, you can can't have, have followers. Friends. You just you can't. Have I imagine if you are Mark Zuckerberg, you you just mess with a code. Yeah. yeah uh, no, but you can't. You can, you can yeah, only have five thousand friends. friends, but as many followers as you can get. Uh, anyway, I would draw. I would draw the gentle listener's attention at this point to the opening scene of the Facebook movie, which tells you everything you need to know about that man. Uh, in, in fairness, I haven't seen him. It's a great movie, actually. Yeah. It's, it's, it's um, Aaron Sorkin doing mm. doing his. Oh, thing. I've I've heard amazing things about it. I just haven't gotten around watching it. Anyway, on on the bit that's actual news, um, he was like, Let, "Let's read uh, Moses' names, The End of Power," which is not really a book club book. Mm. Unfortunately, it's really big. It's really complicated. It's really involved. Mm. Everyone had like two weeks. No one read it, or not many people read it. There wasn't much description. Uh, discussion. Not not many people answered the questions mm. because people got very excited by it, and then it was like, "Let's try War and Peace." And it's like, "Well, yeah. no, well, let's try something easy and fun." The short version is he's no Oprah Winfrey. He's not carefully strategized. I'm sure he'll sit down with a bunch of marketing people and they'll be like, "No, you should do." Yeah, let, let's find something easier to, to start with, and then once people are involved enough, in a couple of years' time, you you know whip out War and Peace. Station Eleven would be my choice, mm. um, to be honest, because fantastic. Um, we've talked about Station Eleven on the show. We interviewed the author. It's a great book. That's a good book club book to start off with because it's you know it's Ooh. it's a bit genre and it's a bit sad. I tell you what, um, if you find us on on Facebook at Radio Bookworm and Twitter Radio Bookworm and Tumblr Radio Bookworm, or send us an owl or a raven or whatever you want to send, uh, and tell us if you had a book club, what would be your first choice of book to read? I've just realised with horror that the webcam's on. Yeah, it's it's got an odd angle on my body. Excellent. We'll be, we'll be back after these messages. Embrace the alternative. This, this is Fab Radio International. Welcome back to the show. Um, 
So, yes, uh, just in case you don't know, you can catch us on Facebook, Twitter and Mixcloud, as well as Tumblr. We are all on those as Radio Bookworm, type in Radio Bookworm, it will come up. Um, there's a little green worm symbol, we have to change that logo because it's interesting. Uh, we're also on iTunes, you can find us via starburstmagazine.com. Just click on podcasts and we're with the one on the bottom or we might be on the news feed if we've recently got a thing. The station is available on fabradiointernational.com with all its wonderful Twitter and Facebook nonsense as well. So, I have a book to review and I'm going to review Haters. Haters. Uh, Haters by James Goss. Now, James Goss is much, much better known for his Doctor Who work. Um... He's got a big, big pile of stuff that he's written for Doctor Who and Torchwood. Um, he's well known amongst the Doctor Who fans. Um, so it's interesting that he's gone for murder most foul with this. Now, he has written a little bit of murder before, um, but only a little bit of murder. Um, and this is available on Solaris, and they're great for their genre fiction. Um, so, yeah. It's a quite a clever little plot. So we've got this guy called Dave, who's a social media junkie. He takes social media far too seriously, and he's a bit of an odd chap, shall we say. And his best friend, the guy, who we, we grow together, he has a bit of a crush on, though it's not immediately obvious. Uh, he has a girlfriend, this this lady called Michelle. Um, the boot actually opened, and I'm just going to quickly quote it, this wonderful line, which is... There's something there's something wrong with the internet if you think about it for a, sec- a second. I mean, I'm not saying the internet made me kill Danielle, but it certainly helped. Yes. You see, this book starts with a murder. The book starts with the murder of Danielle. Danielle is really annoying. Guy's girlfriend, and technically Dave's best friend, though Dave really didn't think, did, didn't realise that he had no boat in the matter. You see... Danielle's very controlling. Danielle has, you know, always hounds her, her boyfriend on social media. And she posts everything. Everything from, you know, those... If you do not repost this, your head will turn blue to... <laughs> to um, Dragons will come and eat you. Look at this outrageously unsourced thing that I don't understand. But if you, try and, if you try and explain it to me why this is actually slightly dodgy, I'll just get angry because I assume that you're telling me that I'm, I'm stupid rather than you just being helpful. Uh, and so on. That whole raft of, you know, everyone has at least one person. Normally it's a relative. Someone on Facebook or social media who they can't quite get rid of for whatever reason, but they just make the t- your, your time spent on the internet not as much fun as it could be. And there's ways around it, but for some reason, Dave doesn't seem to be able to get these to work for him. So, you know, he's he's been avoiding Danielle for, for various reasons, and he ends up going to the pub with her because he's an idiot. Um Inevitably, the conversation uh, goes along the lines of her accusing him of trying to kill her via her peanut allergy, because, of course, she has a peanut allergy. Um, There's a a lot of yelling, there's a fair amount of shouting, and he murders her. This is where it takes... Not with peanuts. Well, well, I'll not give you any spoilers, but murder definitely occurs, shall we say, murder most while. And, you know, he's a bit sad about this, but not really, and his friend Guy is quite sad. And things get a little bit worse because everyone's like, "Oh, such a such a shining light." They go a little bit Lady Diana, shall we say? Okay. Um, and things get a little bit crazy. Um, 
And then Dave finds himself with a second job. You see, there's not just him who wants to get rid of an irritating internet people, and even though Danielle has now sad, 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 lost, poor, poor, dead Danielle has now become sort of some sort of internet martyr, other people are kind of using her name to try and boost their own fame and profile. Mm. So he decides to kill them as well. Yeah, it, okay. And so on. So, and then... It steps up because he acquires, for the best way of describing it, a sponsor. And he continues his assassinations. These are uh, The book is full of assassination and counter-assassination. And it is simply marvellous. It is hilarious all the way through. Um, this is a roller coaster wa- ride. And after a while you start to recognise certain things and certain memes and certain common personalities. So there's a character in there who isn't Justin Bieber. But he's basically Justin Bieber. <laughs> okay. And one of his number one fans is is this awful young person who's causing a kind of, you know, every time someone says something nasty about this person, they they just get harassed by hordes and hordes of screaming teenagers. And it's led by one particular internet kind of number one fan. Mm-hmm. So he devises a particularly uh, nasty way of bumping that person off. There's another person who... Um, through the use of now it's not reddit absolutely not reddit it's totally reddit there's a, there's a there's a internet service that obviously the names have changed to protect the guilty um on there and the way that works is one of the regular users is put in an elaborate trap and they end up using well reddit to try and help themselves get out of an elaborate trap it doesn't end well and so on. It's a book that's absolutely full of all sorts of just utterly wonderful moments. And it's so witty and it's so sharp and it's acerbic as well. You can feel the venom coming off the page. And do you know what? That venom is completely and utterly delicious. <laughs> um, I enjoyed I, I enjoyed every every single little inch of it. This, he does throw stones at a few things. There's a particular internet person, not internet personality slash small press personality in there who seems to be a, shall we say, an amalgam of certain characters that you'll absolutely recognise if you're a member of the book game. Um, there's a particular incident involving an award ceremony, Twitter, and a famous but not terribly um, young uh, TV celebrity. If you recognise what that's about, then you'll laugh very hard. If you don't recognise what that's about, then you'll still laugh. You'll just won't get quite get the meta reference. This is. It's not quite swifty in social commentary, but it's very close. It's strong. It's solid social commentary, and I enjoyed it an awful lot. Mm, sounds really interesting. <coughs> So just remind us, who's the author, what's the book, where can we find it? It's James Goss, it's on Solaris, it's called Hit Ours, with a Z. Um, it's glorious, basically. It's, <laughs> I had a lot of fun. It's got some wonderful, wonderful moments. Um, you, One of the things I particularly like about the character is just as, just as you start to think, hmm, I have some sympathy with this character. He then tells you what he does for a living, and you're like, nope, I don't have any sympathy for this character yeah. at all. Again. And it's full of those little moments where James Goss just massively says, here's the thing, I, because I, he, he's, he's manipulating you all the way through. He wants you to not particularly like the character, but laugh along with him, um, because the guy's an idiot. Um, for the character Dave, that is, not, not James Goss. James Goss is quite, quite the genius when it comes to this. Um, 
Yes, so it's on Slowers. Um, it's Hitos. It comes out um, very soon. comes out in a few weeks. Um, I fully, fully recommend it. Awesome. What's coming up next? Um, we have an interview. With, and we'll talk about that in a moment. Across the world, 24 hours a day, this is Fatboyian International. So, coming up next, we have an interview with Jimmy Anderson and MG Harris. We have a couple of technical issues with this particular tape. We've done our best to keep the uh, noise destruction down as much as we can, um, but we apologise for the quality on this particular tape. Um, but it's jolly interesting chat, so um, enjoy. This is Fab Radio International. MG Harris and Jimmy Anderson, welcome to the bookworm. Hello! Hello! So, talk me through Gemini Force One. Gemini Force is a, is a rescue agency. Gemini Force One is our book series based on an original concept by Jerry Anderson that he worked on in the last few years of his life before he became sick with Alzheimer's. Um, and I didn't know anything about it at that point, but Jamie was kind of watching carefully. Jamie, do you want to take over? Yep. Uh, yeah, sure. So da- Dad had a bit of a rough time with his final couple of shows. I think he felt that uh, maybe he had uh, the suits interfering a bit too much and that going down a book route would give him a bit more freedom to write something exactly how he imagined it. And so he started writing this um, this new kind of rescue series in the standard Anderson vein of uh, you know rescue and tech and adventure. And he started that in 2008, and by about 2010, he was really struggling to to continue with it uh, because of his Alzheimer's disease, and that eventually stopped him entirely. Um, but uh, we decided to to pick up the baton and find somebody to continue writing it and to finish it off in the way that Dad would have uh, wanted to do it himself. Um, and in steps there, M.G. Harris. There are a lot of considerations in a project like that. What are the challenges that you faced? Yeah, you're right. There is there is our challenge, and the challenge is, is it's actually not in the writing because effectively you cannot go in and rewrite someone's stuff. You pretty much have to start from scratch, but with the same ideas and the same philosophy, and you can pick up, you know, the ideas and the philosophy and the concept that can be transferred in the way that it was transferred to me by my agent Robert Kirby because Robert had talked quite a lot to Jerry and there were recordings and things like that so I could find out about the concept and I could find out about you know where the story was going and things like that but to actually write a novel perhaps more than with a screenplay you need to actually understand emotionally where that's coming from so I I said I can you write this if I understand emotionally what what Jerry was you know where is this coming from within him so I met with Jamie and I said, you know, what, why is he writing this kind of family dynamic that's in rescue? And, you know, where does it come from? And then Jamie was able to explain to me where, that, where he thought that came from in Jerry's life and his own experiences and his family. And, and once I knew that I could connect to that, 
you know, then I knew that I could write it. Because I think a lot of the other elements were, it, were in my own fiction anyway. They were, you know, all of that kind of adventure action and tech and, you know, underground secret societies and stuff like that is, is in the Joshua Files. But I really had to understand, to, you know, as a novelist, to be able to connect with the, the kind of character arcs. So that's what Jamie was able to explain to me. What sort of things will fans of Jerry Anderson find familiar with Gemini Force One? Well, Jamie, why don't you say what you think will be familiar? <laughs> the same. Um, yeah, I think the re- reminiscent stuff, obviously, the, the kind of the setup, which was always the kind of uh, uh, the, the, the good against evil and good triumphing against evil, uh, combined with the secret organisation elements of uh, of Thunderbirds or Captain Scarlet, um, that kind of thing. Um, plus, obviously, the kind of the action adventure feel, the technology, and the pacing. Actually, the pace amazingly. Uh, as soon as I read uh, MG's first treatment of the first few chapters, there's just something about the 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 speed of the action and the um, yeah, and just the sort of timing feel, which which just feels like it's straight out of a, a supermarination show, really. So those, yeah, lots and lots of elements that will be familiar. What new stuff should we expect? And what's new is um, it's, it's probably not new to to be honest. It's because I think it's all actually when I when I watch Thunderbirds, I think yep, that's that's all there. It's all there in the original stuff, but it's kind of dated. What's updated is 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 you know about bringing it into the 21st century in terms of our global political situation where you've got um, a different kind of terrorism, you know, not very, you know, it's not co- it's not sort of post-Cold War and the, the villains, if you like, so we don't have someone like The Hood who's kind of just more of a TV show villain. We have villains who are hopefully kind of believable in their context that they're involved in industrial terrorism or eco-terrorism or um, I don't want to spoil too much here Ed I don't want to you know ruin things for, for future books but it's kind of a mixture of natural disasters that might be you know to do with climate change or not to do with climate change to do with catastrophic management you know incompetence and as well you've got terrorism type issues so and probably there's a tiny bit more, there's possibly a tiny bit more emphasis on character than, than in some of the TV set shows. But that is, you'd expect that in a novel. I mean, that's always going to happen when you do a novelization. Because you have to write it from inside the character's heads. Gemini, Gemini Force One is quite an adult world. What were the challenges that you faced writing for young adults? Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, I think that's where my expertise comes in. I, you know, I'm quite an experienced children's author, so I know how to make things appeal to children of sort of ten plus, really. Actually, quite a lot of the characters in, I mean, most of the characters are actually adults, but we're doing it all from the point of view of the sixteen-year-old. So it's from a, a young person's point of view. I think the, ad- the, the adults who've read it, the backers who've read it, seem to, seem to like it very much, actually. So um, I think whatever that sort of magical Andersonian thing is, it seems to be working. I don't know. Like, it's not yeah. for me to say, really, Jamie. 
No, no, I think uh, that's exactly right. That's the, that's the thing I probably missed from uh, the stuff that would be familiar for existing fans is that it has that broad appeal. Dad was never a fan of, uh, you know, tightly targeting something down to a narrow age range. It was supposed to be something that, you know, that, that where the kids who were reading weren't being written down to. And in that way, the shows could be enjoyed by an adult audience as well. Um, and and not just that, but the, the kids that would grow up could watch it again and again without feeling patronised or spoken down to when enjoying it again. And I think we've got the same thing here. You know, there's the the things that Ben, the main character, has to deal with. They are things that an adult would find extremely difficult. Um, so we have, you know, we haven't uh, kind of played down any of the action or the difficulties. Um, so yeah, the, the 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 Kickstarter backers who have read their early editions of the book, I've heard nothing but wonderful praise and them all. Uh, sucking up to MG for doing such a wonderful job, which she has. Um, so I'm, yeah, I, I think it's got that that broad appeal, and, and it, again, that's just another way in which MG has captured the the Jerry Anderson spirit. I think one of the um, one of the main things I wanted to not do in making it about a 16 year old is to make him inevitably the hero of every scenario because that's just not realistic. You know, it, it wouldn't be really. It wouldn't give you an awful lot of respect for this agency if every time that, you know, they, they had to be saved by a 16-year-old. So actually, it's more about Ben learning to be a team player. And so often, you know, his, his little adventure, if you like, takes place perhaps not centrally to the, to the main rescue. You know, he might be the one who has to go and rescue a single person who, or single two people who are off in a particular situation. Um, because otherwise, you know, you don't, the last thing you want to do is undermine the credibility of this agency. It's all about him wanting to belong to that agency and wanting to be good enough, more, more than anything, wanting to be good enough to be part of the agency. So he's always on, the, he's always on his toes. He's always out of his comfort zone. And he's ours, isn't he? Because who doesn't want to be, you know, who wouldn't dream of being in, in some kind of agency like that? Terror Hawks is coming out on Big Finish. Are we likely to see this with Gemini Force One, or are we going to see it in any other forms of media? <laughs> I, I think, well, I, I think we'd obviously like to uh, kind of make the most in as many media as possible uh, for Gemini Force One. Um, but I, I'm kind of keen to see what the, the greater public response is when the book comes out in April 1st, I think. Uh, that'll be pretty important. I'm, I mean, I'm fairly hopeful and fairly positive that we will get a great response especially going by the uh, the readers responses so far um i mean i'm sure we'd love to have a film version one day wouldn't we mg a film would be great yes yeah. a series of films lovely yeah. or a tv series it, it wouldn't be cheap i mean it wouldn't be you know insanely out of hand expensive but it to, to do to do it justice would be fairly expensive as a live action, but that was always Jerry's dream, really, for Thunderbirds and you know um, things like that. You know, he he did them as, as puppet shows because he he had these incredibly broad, grand visions for how they would be in terms of special effects and everything, and he he didn't want to compromise really. So, you know, by doing them scaled down and with puppets, you could do amazing things. Cinem- you know, in terms of cinematography. Gemini Force One started off as a. Kickstarter project that got picked up by Golans. 
Um, how did that change the project? Well, it just gives you a big... I mean, you know, any publisher... Our publisher is very happy that they're going to be able to bring a book out in April that already has been read by, you know, 600-plus people who seem to really like it and are prepared to talk about it. And just to give you an example, we, we raised so much money, more than we expected, that we'd been able to commission artwork from Andrew Probert, who is um, the Hollywood designer who designed the original Cylons and Battlestar Galactica, and he designed the Enterprise D deck from... Um, from Star Trek The Next Generation, and he, you know, he's like a top Hollywood designer, and we've been able to commission designs from him, so that there will be a visual component, there'll be a website with like all this artwork, and we'll be able to do posters, and we've got badges, we've got patches, we've got a kind of a whole, if you like, almost merchandising stream available. Now, publishers just, they just, when we explain that to the publisher, that we already had all this stuff, they just kind of goggled at us, because... Normally, that would only happen for them in a book series that was already selling to millions. So that that, that, that there was any kind of interest in that, um, it just makes it look like a much more fully fledged. Publishers come out with a huge amount of confidence in the title, and that's what publishers are looking for nowadays because it's so so competitive. Jimmy Anderson and MG Harris, thank you very much for your time. Thank you, Ed. Thank you. Embrace the alternative. This, this is Fab Radio International. Welcome back. You're listening to The Bookworm on Fab Radio International. Uh, I'm Ninfa Hayes and I'm here with the lovely Ed Fortune. Hello. And you've just listened to Ed's interview with M.G. Harris and Jamie Anderson about Gemini Force One. We'll be reviewing that book later on in the year. Um, spoiler alert, we enjoyed it. Um, <laughs> I say we, I mean me. Um, I could hear the Thunderbirds theme playing in the background while I was reading it. It's a lot of fun. But um, as you can gather, yes, it's a bit fabtastic, but we are on Fab Radio International after all. Ninfa, you have a book in hand and it I looks like you want to review it. I have a book in my hand that I want to review. Now, this is a bit different from what I normally do because it's not actually a novel in any way shape or form however it reads quite nicely and um, what I'm looking at today it's the making of Star Wars Um, so it's the definitive story behind the original film and it's written by J.W. Rinsler um, and with a foreword by Peter Jackson doesn't get any geekier than that it really doesn't. It's fabulous. Um, so what is it and why is it any different from any other of the other books that have been published um, on Star Wars? Well, um, first of all, uh, this is a collection of interviews um, and and production notes and, and snippets and pictures and, and quotes. Um, and it's but mainly it's, it was gathered between 1975 and 1978. There's over 50 interviews with people from, you know, Carrie Fisher, very, very young Carrie Fisher, um, George Lucas and people from pr- the production team and, and people that worked on special effects. So you, you get an overview of every single little um, corner of what went on while this movie was in pre-production and then in production. Um, but it actually starts earlier than that um, because in the contents which are fabulously laid out, very, very clear. Uh, It starts from 1968 
um, to August 1973. So you, you go basically through this idea that George Lucas had, where he was at that time of, of his life, and, and how he was envisioning bringing to life this massive space opera that that's little by little sort of grew in his head and became an actual project and then became what we all know in the world as Star Wars and the whole Star Wars legacy. Um, and basically it goes uh, up until, um, it's 12 chapters and the last chapter covers April 77 to December 77, um, which as you know is the year where the first uh, movie came out and, and what it became uh, and how it affected the lives of many, many young and old people. Um, so, as I said, it, because it's actually a collection of interviews, you'd think it might be a bit fragmented, but actually it's been linked in together really beautifully. So it's the story is told and you read it as if you were reading a very in-depth novel about the making of this movie. Um, it's it's um, I, I sort of approached it a bit reverently, if you like, because you know big massive Star Wars fan um, and I was a bit concerned that I was going to get bored with dates and facts and names and that I wouldn't remember anything uh, but actually I found it I found it really engrossing and, and um, there's some beautiful pictures inside as well with little quotes that will make you giggle um, really well laid out book uh, and definitely a must have for Star Wars fans How brutal is it? How honest is it? Uh, it's pretty honest. I mean, there there were a lot of bits where I didn't like George Lucas very much, and a lot of people out there will go, eh. <laughs> "Welcome to the club." Uh, but actually, I'm a fan, and I love it, I, and, and I love George Lucas's work. Um, and um, and it's snowing outside in Manchester right now. Sorry, uh, uh, producer Al is going insane, going, "Oh my god, it's snowing!" Um, but yeah, it, it, it's it's very honest, um, and you know, it goes through um, some of the actors. I, I, I won't give any spoilers, although they're not really spoilers. But there are the concerns of you know where is this going, and uh, the, the 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 really harsh conditions that some of the people went through to actually you know shoot this movie and and get it there. Um, there's a lot of um, there's a bit of controversy as well. Um, uh, but yeah, I, th I found it really refreshing, and it gave me an insight on on actually how harsh the the whole process was on everyone involved. Uh, many changes that there was a lot of money thrown in that they never knew whether it was going to actually pay off or not. Uh, there was a lot of people just being involved because they got it. They got you know how important this was and how um you know game changing this movie could be if they did it right um so yeah i thoroughly enjoyed it um but i would say if you're not a star wars fan unless you're a movie making fan and think oh i really want to see what the process was like at the time and and i don't think you'll find it much different from what it is nowadays anyways um i would say you know don't pick it up unless you really love the movies. Does it have plenty of insight into the various actors, or is it all about the Lucas? Oh no, no, it's 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 everyone. I mean, you get camera people uh, perspectives, you get a bit of everything. Um, in fact, George Lucas is probably the one that you hear from the least. Uh, although obviously there are references to him throughout all of the other interviews as well um but no you, you get everything you got you know 
shine, a shining light on every dark corner um, and, and a lot of nice quotes and little little snippets of information. The movie is 37 years old. I it think is. I got that right. Have I, how, how is it still relevant? How is the book still relevant? How is this artefact still relevant? Um, I think, as I said, as a fan, an insight on what it was like to get that all of that massive endeavour going, that's still relevant. Because even nowadays, I mean, the, the the first movie of the new, of what it could be a new trilogy, or even longer than that, because, you know, Disney, um, will milk that cow and flog it until it dies. I, I'm all up for it. Just flog it. Flog it. I don't care. Um, so, you know, coming into that next movie, it's nice to see where it all began. Um, and it will be relevant anyways, because... You know, the movies are still being made. It's uh, it's still there. I have to admit, I'm loving Star Wars Rebels at the moment, and I'm looking forward to the new movie. But that's yeah. totally irrelevant to the book. So, <laughs> who is it? Who's it by? What's it? It's on? as I said, it's called The Making of Star Wars. It's by J. W. Rinsler with a foreword by Peter Jackson. Um, it's published by Ibery Press, um, and it's fabulous treasure for Star Wars um, fans. And it looks like it's full of plates as well. It's it's, of- it's beautiful. I mean, I, I I really love it. And there's color and black and white pictures, and you can see they're totally seventies pictures because you know they're a bit out of focus and those uh, uh, muted colors that you recognize from the era. Uh, but it's fabulous. It's just there's there's so much in it to love and and so many little curiosities and pictures and and anecdotes about you know. Um, production of the movie and and when they were shooting it it's gorgeous pictures of of carrie fisher because you know gorgeous um but yeah beautiful i am showing my age a little bit and one of the things i miss about the digital age is um back in the day and this is this is like you know when i was just starting out when movies turned up you would get a pack from from the the production house Mm -hmm. from the distributor and you'd get photos actual big photos you'd get negatives Oh wow! If you were very lucky, you'd get a tape, and then you get a whole load of like actual press releases, and they yeah. were normally photos started. Yeah, and you get this big envelope full of just joy. And you don't get that those artifacts anymore because they just email it to you. Well, seeing it's it's also that nowadays you buy those. You know, they're collectibles. Um, but this, this, this at w- the time they were just a way for people to get known, and they hadn't quite twicked. I think in the fact that that could be something a fan would really want. Well, these things, these things from a from a press point of view, are basically trash. It's stuff that's sent to you, so you could you know you produce promotional work for them. But um, yeah, I kind of I miss those photos. I miss that sort of you know those kind of those huge kind of screenshot photos that you would get, and the smell as well. They would smell very much chemically. <laughs> But um, yeah, they don't do them anymore. They just send you an email with some JPEGs uh, and and some attachments, and you're just like, that's not the same. I have to print Mm -hmm. those out. I want to touch it and feel it and smell the chemicals. If if you're very lucky, they might send you a USB stick. Wow. So if you're special, if you're very, very lucky, the USB stick might be appropriate to whatever it is as well. Um, it won't be with Star Wars. They'll, they'll, they'll just assume those, but on their website and just go. If you, you know, don't know, why are you here? Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> You're going to report about this anyway. We don't. We we need to give you nothing. Um, anyway, so that sounds fantastic. Maybe. It is. It's beautiful. Uh, it's one of my little treasures. So um, I think coming up next, we're going to talk a bit more about books. 
across the world. The real alternative. FabRadioInternational.com So, uh, this is the bit on the schedule which is called Excited Chatter About Books. Normally we talk about everything that comes to mind. Uh, Last week we were talking obviously about censorship and that sort of thing. I think we we don't really have a theme this time around. Um, I was looking at the books that we reviewed and we've got Haters, which is you know a commentary on social media. Uh, we've got The Making of Star Wars, which is a commentary on Star Wars. Um, and um, we've had a bit of weird news. So I don't know how to... Li- well, how do you link these together? It's, it's one of those things, though, actually. It's the way, the way we communicate. It's the way we communicate ideas. Because our interview also was with uh, Jamie Anderson and MG Harris. And they got their project out there through Kickstarter and through the Medium Kickstarter. Mm. And it, it's funny how things have changed. We were saying uh, we were saying with Star Wars. When Star Wars first came out, it was this weird little indie movie. It was. People forget that. I mean, this was literally... It was, a, 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 you know, George Lucas in the middle, but it was a dedicated team of people that threw money into it uh, until they made it happen. I and it was their money, their mortgages, everything they had because they believed that this would be a game changer. We quite literally would not be sitting in this studio right now if it wasn't for Star Wars. No. Um, to explain that slightly further, we're part of the Starburst group. Starburst are upstairs. Starburst was formed in 1977 in order to... to um, take advantage and also to to promote this little indie movie called Star Wars at the time it was a little indie movie I mean it was a cultural Mm. phenomenon and by the time it hit the UK because this is the thing the actual tapes had to be wound up and then shipped across because this is back in the 70s there wasn't you know you couldn't you couldn't phone it in you had to physically move the actual film from one place to another in order to watch the movie well Peter Jackson tells us in the foreword how as a young boy he started seeing pictures of of you know the the movie and and the premieres and things um in 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 magazines that you know like Starburst and he was by the time it hit New Zealand he was already a massive fan he didn't even know what it was but he he wanted to see it so desperately and then obviously went in and it was the, a revelation for for this young boy that then became who you know but who promotion is, there. is so different now i mean again getting to to hit ours and, which is all about media saturation to mm. an extent. And it's all about one of the characters in Hitars, who's a vampire, who I'll not go into too much detail, but she spends a lot of time self-promoting. And there's a whole there's a whole thing there where you can you can promote too much, you can oversaturate. Well, I was back in 1977, though Star Wars was a huge phenomenon and no one knew anything about it until it finally hit them. Mm. Though there was that level of hype and saturation. These days, the, kind of we're so used to it it's the background noise of our lives but it's like it's things like spoilers um you know um again referring back to peter jackson waiting for the movie yeah it's in some pictures but that was it um and and you know there wasn't he couldn't go into the internet and go oh, let me find out all about this movie uh it wasn't that nowadays Spoilers. People get incredibly mad about spoilers. But does that now mean that stuff like Star Wars wouldn't quite have the same impact because the the, the background noise is all the hype. So Star Wars is going on in the background, whereas 
for example, Sarah Pinborough's Death House is a remarkable novel, mm. and there's an awful lot of buzz about it, and a lot of people are talking about it, but it's not, you know, it. ten years ago, would the wave be more magnified because there was less noise out there? Mm. Would people be hearing about it more because... Not because there's less out there, but simply because there's less people. You know, there's so many different voices shouting, wanting to be heard. And the thing with social media, of course, is it means that everyone can 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 be standing there wanting to be heard. Mm. And it's interesting that there, there's so many different ways of doing that, and there's so many different methods. So Gemini Force One should be huge because it's Thunderbirds. Mm. It's it's Anderson. It's not as not that big. You know, Thunderbirds is more more impressive because it's going to be on ITV soon, and it looks. Oh yeah, cool. obviously there's a big hype about the the uh, revamped Thunderbirds and and how is that going to translate? But, and are they going to be puppets? Uh, that's everyone's well, they're question. CGI, they're CGI. Well, apparently it's a mixture. But with um, Gemini Force One, they've done done essentially. It's essentially it is international rescue in novel form. It's almost mm. like a prequel, um, you know, because they don't have the rights to do Thunderbirds as I understand it. So mm. they're doing this instead, and it's really good. But again, it, there's so many different voices. You've got Thunderbirds going off. You've got Solos going off. Is a project like that really going to get the the attention it deserves? Is Sarah Pindra's Death House really going to get the, the attention but it the, deserves? At the same time, um, you know, would that project have been made ten years ago? That's a good question. Would Star Wars be crowdfunded now? Would it be on a Kickstarter because because it was a tiny indie movie? Yeah, I mean, it, it, that's the question, isn't it? At the time, if if George Lucas had had access to Kickstarter and, and was, you know, on the brink of having to put his mortgage down because he couldn't pay to make his movie, would he have just gone, I'll just put it on Kickstarter and see if people buy into it? So that there's that question as well. I think I think it's a fine line to thread and I think um, the, the, the thing with, with social media is it's a brilliant way of keeping in touch with people. It's a brilliant way of having your voice heard but unfortunately it also means that you get drowned down by a lot of voices that Maybe shouldn't be. There's a there is a thing that I've noticed, and I have to be very careful how I put this. But there is a there is a type of author specifically who is angry, mm. male and female. It's not male and female. Nations are different. All the rest of it. But there, there is a different type of there. There's a sort of it's almost always on Twitter as well, and they're very stompy and they're quite rude. Um, and sometimes they're they're trolls, and sometimes they're seen as troll slayers. I just sit there and I go, you know what? I care about your novels, but I don't care about your your, you know, about the action and the stuff that you're trying to do. I don't I don't want you shouting at me. I just want you to tell me that your book's out and let's have a normal conversation. Mm. Yeah, right. but but why are they ha- why are they, why are they angry? I mean, I think most of the time it's because there's too much noise. Cynically, cynically, I think it's because by being angry they get noticed, and by get, being noticed they sell books. Mm. But that's me being cynical. I think I think. But then honest, big people do it. I mean, big names do it. Authors, actors, you know, it's it's not just that. It's just, I think I, you know, being 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 you know believing in the nice side of of humanity. I think sometimes it's just the fact that you you do get angry because you think, 
you know, let's be nicer to each other. You know, can we not just all be friends? Here's my novel. Please read it. If you enjoy it, that's great. If you don't, you know, it happens. I try to be nice on Twitter because I love the idea that when they actually meet me in real life and realise that I'm actually awful. Then, yeah. you know, <laughs> you're lovely. Everyone knows you're lovely. That, that will, that, it's totally not true. Um, that, that will completely <laughs> change. totally true. That, that, yeah. you know, it'll totally shock and, shock and horrify them when they realise that I'm actually, you know, the kind of person that juggles kittens for a living. But, <laughs> okay. And on that bombshell, I, I think <laughs> we should. Uh, I think we should flee. Sense your long-lasting mandate. Worn by men, loved by women. I've been Ed Fortune, I'll continue to be Ed Fortune, and it's goodbye from me. And I'm Nympha Hayes, and it's goodbye from me too. The Bookworm is a truly outrageous production for Fab, Radio International and Starburst magazine. Presented by Ed Fortune and Nympha Hayes, produced by A.L. Johnson.